Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. This is, this is one of my two favorite churches in the world. One of them is in India, where they don't have a building and they don't have a pastor, but they have an amazing people who are living life on a mission for God. And the other one is this one, because I come here and I see the people of God the way the book of Revelation says you're supposed to look. People of color, people of different language groups, people like me who, when I wear shorts, my friends in India say, Dude, we can see right through your legs. I mean, I'm the whitest dude they have ever seen, right? It, it's, it's, it's painful. Um, yeah, it is what it is, right? There you go. Uh, I, I'm going to walk with you through Nehemiah, but I'm going to do it a little differently than usual. Usually I read a text and then I explain it and talk about it. Today, I'm going to tell you what the sermon is, and then I'm going to read you the text and show you why I get it out of the text, Okay. These are not good days for the idea of repentance. They're just not good days. We got a president who has said publicly that he doesn't repent and he doesn't apologize because he never thinks he's done anything wrong. We've got, we've got athletes who commit horrific crimes and they express remorse. And the way they express it is to say, I'm sorry if what I did offended you. Think about that sentence a minute. It reminds me of my grandma who said, if you ever repent and there's a but in the sentence, it's not repentance. Right? We live in a time when repentance and confession is seen as a weakness not a strength. But we serve a king whose gospel says that when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I'm honest and transparent before the Lord about my sins, then I'm healthy. It's upside down, right? So we are in Nehemiah chapter 9, and if you've been here, you've been on the journey with Nehemiah, after Israel is scraped off the land of promise, brought over the Babylon, then they come back under Nehemiah after 70 plus years. And over that time, one of the things they've had to learn, and they learned it from the prophets who spoke to them, and they learned it from their time sitting in Babylon trying to meditate on how in the world did the people of God end up in slavery again? And they come back after 70 years and Nehemiah's beginning to rebuild a people with an identity that is connected to their God, right? And we're at the chapter when, for the first time in the text, we learn that they repent. Now, 
I'm married to Carol. Those of you who know her know her as this genteel, quiet lady. No? I didn't think so. About two years into our marriage, I did something that was wrong, and I apologized to her. And I apologized to her, in essence, because I wanted to quit arguing. I was tired of the argument. It was a pain in my neck. I wanted it over with. I wanted to get on with life, right? She looked at me. I hope I can say this in this <laughs> gathering. She looked at me and she says, you're good at apologizing. You suck at repenting. Now, I had been a pastor by the, at this time for, by about 35 years. So this, this was not a good thing to hear from your wife. But she was right. Apologizing is something you do mostly for yourself. Repenting is not. We're going to talk this morning about repenting, number one, being about God and who He is, about you and who he made you to be, and the you there is not only a singular you as a person, but you as a people, who you are in your identity. And then thirdly, about saying about yourself what God says about you, both who you are and what you did. That's what repentance looks like. Now, the first thing we're going to start with is recognizing that repenting is very much about God. It's very much about God and who He is and His story and His track record with you and who He made you to be. Read with me the first section of Nehemiah 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, think of burlap sacks, rough fabric, and earth, dirt on their head. That's the way in the ancient world those people designated their sorrow. They did that at funerals. They did that when they were acknowledging their brokenness and their sin. Sackcloth and ashes and dirt on their head to symbolize that they were no, no better than the worms. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their, not, not because they were arrogant about the foreigners, but because before God they realized they were a people set out on a ministry and they were supposed to be different so that the foreigners could see that the glory of the Lord was being lived by them. And what was happening is that they were living like the foreigners, not the other way around. So they acknowledged it and they withdrew in order to reconsider and take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror, right? And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Whoa, when's the last time you confessed the sins of your parents? That's not something we do. But we're going to talk about this in a minute. I just want to give you a little teaser right now. Confessing the sins of your parents is not to say, I confess that my dad drank too much one time. 
I'm not confessing his actions. I'm confessing the sinful patterns that I learned from him about the way he did his anger. And I learned from it and I'm replicating it. It's the sins of the fathers passed on to the sons and daughters and replicated in their children. Those sinful patterns that have distorted my identity and made me less than what God created me to be. You get that? It's a way of saying, I'm not just John. And my identity is not just a really white-skinned dude who lives in Charlotte and is semi-retired. That's not my identity. My identity is tied up with who you are because I'm part of you. I represent you when I go to Thailand. I represent Thailand when I come to you because I'm part with you of a people who are defined by God and on a mission for God. And when I get that crooked, I break fellowship with him. You, you know, I think, geographically, I hope you do, North Africa, there's this place called Egypt. Let's see, what are they? That, here, northern corner of Egypt. You go up a little bit along the, the shores of the Mediterranean, there's this little country called Israel, and then way over here is Babylon. Babylon and Egypt were the two great cultures of the ancient world. And they interacted with each other in terms of learning and commerce and finance. They didn't do it with email. They didn't do it with fax machines. They didn't do it with text message. They did it by camels. And there were two highways, I-10 and I-80. And I-10 was the way of the sea. You read about that in Isaiah. The light has dawned and those who travel along the way of the sea that ran right through, right along the Mediterranean and then up and across a place called Har-Mageddon. We get the word Armageddon from it because all kinds of battles were fought there. And then on up to Damascus and over to Babylon. And the other one was the way of the king. That's the way Joshua took when he took Israel out of the land of Egypt, crossed the desert, up on the other side of, of the Dead Sea into Jericho. And then from there up north and then out again. Those two highways, right? And God put Israel right in the middle between those two highways. Why? Because the weather was so pleasant? No, you fry in Israel in the summer. It's brutal weather. No, he put them there for the display of his splendor. So when the people from Egypt and the people from Babylon traveled through, they would see this neon sign people living right there in a place where they could not be ignored, right between the only two highways of the world, on display to show the world what it looks like when you are defined by your God. And when you're living in fellowship in such a way that you always care for the poor. And your justice system always does justice. And when you are quick to confess your sins and quick to forgive each other. That was the mandate. That's what God said to them to do and to be. And they never did it. 
they became just like us, worried more about money and less about justice, worried more about how they could use the poor to make more money for their companies rather than caring for the poor who couldn't pay them back. They didn't care about righteousness in the land. They didn't care about doing right laws. They carried more, cared more about their pocketbooks. And, their, and, their, and, and, and Amos, the prophet, says, and even the wives cared more about laying back on their ivory couches saying to their husbands, bring me another glass of wine. I'm watching Oprah. They, I mean, that, Amos talks about them reclining on their couches, saying to their husbands, bring me more wine. That mattered more to them than being who God had defined them to be. And so after centuries of that, God said, I'm done. Off to Babylon. Seventy years percolating in Babylon. Now he takes them back. And now they say, ah, we have to confess the sins of our fathers. Now we understand how we got there. Our fathers did the same thing and we've done the same thing and we've found our identity in the ways of the world, not in the ways of our God. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Last week I preached in the church. They told me, this was funny, they said, John, 20 minutes is all you get. I said, dude, I do, I do introductions longer than 20 minutes. They said, no, we got to beat the Methodists to the restaurants. 20 minutes is all you get. <laughs> and they were serious. And I was naughty. I went 21 and a half. <laughs> For another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord your God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabana. Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani, and they cried with a loud voice to Yahweh their God. Yahweh was his Old Testament covenant name. It's like a, in a family there's Papa. That, that's a family name. Not everybody gets to call me Papa, just my grandkids. Right? Yahweh was the family name for God. He was the covenant name. Um, then the Levites, Jeshua... Uh, yeah. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah. You know, I haven't practiced my Hebrew in a while. <laughs> Said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Isn't it interesting that repentance starts with blessing God? Now, how do you bless God? I, I talked with a friend about blessing God yesterday. What, what does that look like? That means giving God the praise He is due. That means acknowledging that God is the one who has the right to tell you who you are and why you are. And God's ways are good. We've got to think about that because sometimes we, particularly when we sin and we're, we're being repented, we shake a fist at God and we say, I, you, you really make me feel like I'm being judged here. Don't make me feel like I'm being judged. And God says, really? Really? That, that's how you read me? I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who defined you. I'm the one who said to you, 
You're amazing. You're made in my image. You have dignity because you're mine. No. Now, we keep going. Watch how he talks in a chapter about repentance. This is strange stuff, but it's beautiful. You are Yahweh. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. I don't know how Nehemiah understood that the angels are busy praising God. But they are. That's what he means there. The host of heaven worships you. You. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur, the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promises, for you are righteous. Wow. Do you get what he just said? He just said, you're the one who defined who I am and who we are as a people, and you do that righteously. I have no right to complain to the Lord about who I am because he made me good. And in his image, and he gave me gifts, and, and the gifts that each one of us have are unique and distinctive, and they're beautiful. Now, what we do with those gifts can be pretty ugly. But he's not to blame when he creates our identity good and sweet, and when he's faithful to us, and he keeps his promises, and he's always righteous. What a place to start with repentance. I'm not starting with repentance by blaming God for giving me bad circumstances. That's kind of like, I'm so sorry I sinned, but if God had done this, I wouldn't have had to feel... That's not repentance. That, that's blame shifting. That's making God the owner of my behavior and my broken identity. And that's not right. He continues. Now he's just telling history, right? But I want you to hear how he tells the history. Because guess whose history this is? Yours. And mine. If you read the Bible, and if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you are, are trying to learn what it means to find your identity as the forgiven daughter of the King. You're a child of God because you're in Jesus Christ. If that's true, then these are your people. And this is your story. And who you are today fits into this narrative. Okay, now let me read it. And you saw the affliction of our, our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they act arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself 
as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and you brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. And there's more to the story for us. And you sent Jesus to set us free from bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to things that enslave us, bondage to systems that are cruel and oppressive. You set us free. There's a lot of stories in this room. There's a lot of stories of hurt and brokenness and addiction and, and pain. I, I know that. But if you're in Christ, that's not your story anymore. If you're in Christ, your story is now I like Paul, who persecuted the church, or like Peter, who denied him three times, or like one of my dearest friends and pastors that grew out of our ministry in India, he says, I murdered my wife. I beat her so often that she found relief in pouring gasoline on herself and burning herself to death. And it is on me. But God rescued me from my anger and my addictions. And he has given me... A new. He starts every sermon with that. He, he, he does every discipleship class with his story. Just like this. Because God is the one who defines his identity. Not his past. God has changed his story through Jesus Christ. And if that's who you are, if you are in Christ, your new identity, and it's hard to admit this, because some of us have years and years of practice defining our identity as, I'm an addict trying to break free. Or I'm, I'm struggling with my sexual identity and I keep trying different identities to see which one fits. Or I'm, I'm a white dude and business person and I come from a good family and I have a lot, a lot of money and that's my identity. No, it's not. Your identity is who you are as God made you and who you have become in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. All these other things are dressing. But your identity is defined by God. That's, that's what he says. And until you get that, Repentance is only apologizing. You never get to the depth of saying, oh, but I'm not what God made me to be. That's when you get to repentance. When you realize that down deep at the root level, you're broken. Now, we pivot and he quits saying you, you, you to God. And now he says, they and we. You notice what he doesn't say? Me. 
Now, I, I, I don't want you to get the idea that repentance is never personal. It always must be personal. But when you read the Bible, repentance is so very often covenantal, communal, corporate, because I'm part of a people. And if I try to live my life as a standalone unit, I'm really going to mess that up. God didn't make me to be a standalone unit. He made me to be part of a people. And in that people, there's health and there's accountability and there's responsibility and there's love. And when I lose that and try to be a standalone individual, I get unhealthy. I think you know that. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck. What a, Hebrew is such a beautifully descriptive thing. How do you define stubbornness? One of my daughters was a really stubborn little girl. I'd spank that one for, for whatever, lying or something. And she'd get up off my lap and she'd, she'd get her neck stiff and she'd storm off to her room with a little throwaway line. I need some quiet time away from you. <laughs> That's what she would say. She's three. Three-year-old kid. So I'm right after her, right, busted right through the door because we have a little bit more than quiet time here. <laughs> Stiff neck. That, that, what, a, what a vivid picture of a stubborn heart, a hard heart that will not soften before the Lord. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. You know who the leader was. Aaron, the high priest. Ooh, Moses' brother. Ooh. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way to which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards and olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. What is this? This is Nehemiah reminding Israel your track record of God isn't so good from your side, but He never gave up on you. He was 
always there. You ran, he pursued. You shook your fist, he blessed anyway. One of the problems we have with the whole notion of repentance is we begin to buy the cultural idea of our time that repentance makes you look weak. I don't believe it does. You know what I think repentance does? Repentance is to get honest about a God who is always true and right and good and admitting that you are not. Until you can get honest about God and his amazing track record, not just in your days, but throughout all these pages. God's track record is not a track record of cruelty. It's a track record of astonishing grace. And if you need to see that, just take another look at the cross. And if you see that track record, and then you see yourself in the light of your God, then repentance isn't weak. Repentance might be the first honest thing you've said that whole day. Because we live in a world of spin. We're always trying to make ourselves look better. We're always trying to make, make up new identities that make us look good to other people. Right? We try to make ourselves an identity. I'm working with a girl, a woman right now, who runs from identity to identity to identity, makes up fraudulent identities, trying to make herself have a meaning in life. And the saddest thing is, the one identity that really matters is who she should be because she's Jesus sister and she can't she can't get that yet she doesn't get it so she's running from identity to identity from, to ma from man to man from fraud to fraud people do that from drug to drug from sexual identity to a different sexual identity trying to find something that gives their life meaning and purpose and the only one that matters is the one that is the truth. God made you to be with dignity a child in his image. And Jesus, when he redeems you, redeems you so that you can be who you were supposed to be. Right? That's identity. And that's truth. And repentance is truth telling about God and how faithful he is about you and me and how we are not. We're not done. <laughs> Nevertheless, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets. <laughs> wow. Did you ever talk to somebody who was messing up their life and you cared about them and you told them the truth? and they burned your relationship? You know what they just did? They killed the prophet. Because the prophet is the one that is designated to go tell the truth to people. The prophet comes and he tells you the truth. It, you may not like to hear it, and it may hurt, and it may sting, and your initial reaction may to put up, be to put up your fists 
and, and cut that person off. But if you are a child with a soft heart, if you're a person whose heart's been touched by the Lord, eventually you're going to come around and you're going to say, you know what? He was telling me the truth. She was telling me the truth. And she cared. Well, not them. They killed the prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great merc... They killed the prophets who told them to the truth and God still listened to their prayers. Man, if I ever get nominated to be God, I don't think I'll do that. You? I don't think I'll forgive the people who kill the people that I send to tell them the truth. That would really burn me. But God in His great mercies gave them saviors from the hand of their enemies. And after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Really, God? Again? Again you take them back? And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously. And you get this now. He's saying they, but he's meaning we, and I'm part of we. Right? And did not obey your commands, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck. You know the, the posture. You've done it, I've done it. And would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. <laughs> He's got to throw this in. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. How do you do that, God? You know, <clears throat> I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. I don't know if you're walking with Jesus. I don't know if, if you have found your identity to be in Jesus yet. But I will tell you, Jesus is amazingly patient. He, he wants you to find your identity in Him. He will do whatever He takes to make that so. I've had to pray about one of my kids, Lord, do whatever it takes. And that's a hard prayer for a parent to pray. Because when I pray, do whatever it takes, I know that God could use some means that are pretty hard. I know what he did to me. I was drifting in a path and he laid me on a leukemia bed and took my wife away while I was on that bed. That, that was a hard wake-up call. That was hard. But it changed me. It it softened me. It brought me back to where I was supposed to be, defined by him, living for him, who made me for that. And it's only when I'm being what I'm supposed to be that my, that my guitar is in tune, that my life is aligned, that I'm making the right kind of sounds, and I'm not off-key and self-centered. Right? 
Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings and our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you've dealt faithfully and we've acted wickedly. Boy, if you can get to that, Lord, don't waste the pain I've had to walk through. Lord, I, I've made a mess of my life and the consequences have been so painful. Lord, don't waste that pain. You've been righteous. I'm the one that acted wickedly. Use the pain to restore me. You see the difference between that and I'm sorry if you felt bad about what I did. That ain't repentance. That's a joke. You've been righteous in all that has come upon us for you've dealt faithfully and we've acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your own goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them. They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. You know, they came back from, Egypt, from, from Babylon. They retook the land, but it was... It was a dump. And the, and the peoples from around had taken it over and they were struggling to survive in their own land. We're slaves this day in the land you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we're slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies, over our livestock, as they please. And we're in great distress. Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Repentance never just says, I'm sorry. Repentance changes mindset. Changes mindset. The Greek word for that is metanoia, change of your mind. It doesn't mean you change your mind, you want ice cream instead of cake. That means change your mind. I'm going to quit thinking of myself and of us in the ways of the world, and I'm going to begin to think I belong to my God. I live for His purposes and His praise, and it's only in Him that my life is going to be harmonious and make sense. I, I'm, I'm going to struggle with it. Now I want to tell you something. I don't know if it's possible to do that as a standalone individual. I think you've got to be part of a people that are always after each other to remember who God has made them to be. You've got a brother or sister who's coming out of addiction. You know just what that means. You can't do it alone. You've got to be part of a team. You got a person with a past that haunts them 
and threatens to define them so that they never think they're going to get beyond their guilt and their shame, they need brothers and sisters to say, no, 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 that's not who you are. That's who you were. But who you are is in Jesus Christ. You got to struggle with arrogance and pride because of your background. You got to have people remind you, no, 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 no. What you have, you have for the Lord's service. Don't get, don't get cocky about that. God will take, take you down. Who you are and what you are is for the king. Do you know that beautiful place in Isaiah where Isaiah the prophet is setting before the people what the dream and the vision is that they would be when Jesus comes? It's Isaiah 61. Let me read this for you. Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. <laughs> see, you see, if, if you've been poor, you think that your definition, your, your identity is that you're a poor person. No, 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 no. Good news comes to the poor. You're not poor anymore. And good news comes to the brokenhearted. You're not defined by your hurts. And good news comes to the captives. You're not defined by your slavery. You're defined by your liberty now. Right? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that, now, now listen, this is the so that, so that they may be called oaks of righteousness, big strong trees with deep roots grew, grounded in God, right? Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, why? That he may be glorified. That's your identity. That's what it's supposed to be. And if that's not what it is, we're back to Nehemiah 9, remembering God's faithfulness and being honest about my failures until God hits the reset button one more time, again and again and again, until you see yourself in Him, defined, redeemed, and on a mission for His glory. That's what repentance is supposed to look like. I pray now, right? Father, thank you for the privilege to share the joy of the Lord with this people of the Lord. I know that there's people in the room like there always are who don't see themselves that way. They don't see themselves as yours. They don't see themselves defined by you, redeemed for you, and living with you but I pray that they'll begin to see themselves that way this day. Thank you for being relentless in your love and your mercy and your grace. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.